I want to thank Danny for sharing that very personal and powerful story. If you didn't catch uh, it, Danny is uh, uh, on staff at our church and uh, is leading our uh, Spanish Hispanic ministry that we are the initiative that we are doing, and uh, we so appreciate him uh, vulnerably sharing about his uh, experience with his dad. As you know, it's Father's Day, and I have to say this now has become one of my personally favorite days of the year. And uh, as many of you know, in my story, it took a long time before I could celebrate in this way uh, Father's Day. And I think this is, uh, gives me a unique perspective on this day, because I know full well as I, as I uh, speak here and, 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 and you hear me that there are some of you who are, are dads and you've been a dad, maybe you're a grandfather, maybe that happened quickly in your life, so there wasn't a gap between wanting to be a dad very long and then being a dad. But for, for many people, and this is my story, I went, I went a long time desiring to be a dad, but not being a dad. Uh, I went 44 Father's Days without being a dad. On my 45th, I finally qualified and could, uh, could celebrate that. So I come to this understanding that days like this, Mother's Day, other days, they are, they're wonderful, but they're also very poignant uh, because in a broken world, there are, there are longings that are unrealized, there are situations that are painful, and uh, I, I, I can relate. I can very much uh, relate to that. So I'm not assuming as I talk today about dads and kids that every kid and every dad approaches a day like this with a lot of happiness in their heart. Um, But I, I do know that being a dad is one of the greatest experiences of my whole life. Like it is... uh, it is a, a daily blessing. This is where different than like, you know, a vacation or some kind of like one-off experience where you're like, that was awesome, and then it's done. Being a dad, I'm a dad every day. And I, I would love to say every day being a dad is awesome. It's not, but most days are awesome being a dad. So today's message is for dads and those who have dads, kids. Father's Day is, uh, in a sort of way, a kid's day, in a sense, although to answer the age-old question when kids ask, I used to ask my parents this, of course, on Mother's Day or Father's Day, we'd say, when is, when is a kid's day? And the standard answer is, every day is kid's day. And someday, kids, you're going to realize how true that actually is. Every day, God has something very special that kids can do that pleases him. And every day, fathers have something that they can do as a father that pleases God. This is a message for dads and for kids. Did you know that the Bible has a lot to say about how to be a kid to the glory of God and how to be a dad to the glory of God? And uh, you might think, you know, especially if you're a kid, you might think, I'm a kid. It's just like, this is what I do. I don't even think about it. But no, God has something to say to children about being children. And of course, to be a dad, in a sense, you, you know, there's, I mean, the, the animals reproduce, right? There's a difference between uh, reproduction and being a dad. And there's more to being a kid than simply being a reproduction. 
And why do we know this? Because the Bible goes to great lengths to emphasize that we as human beings are made in the image of God, that we derive our worth and our value. We are, it's a reflected value and worth that we receive from God. And so we look at God, and lo and behold, God is a trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we think, you know, God is, calls himself a father because it kind of is illustrative of the way that he operates within the Trinity or the way that he relates to the world. And that would be wrong. It is not an illustration that God the Father is God the Father. It is essential to his very being. In other words, it's, it's not so we understand what God is like. It is who God is. He is a father. And so when they created the, the, the world and they created mankind and when they created human beings to reflect what God is like, fatherhood was so essential to the Trinity that God built that relationship into the very fabric of what it means to be a human being. Isn't that exciting to think about? Dads, think about that with me. You are reflecting in your dadhood, in your fatherhood, the very nature and essence of who God is and what he is like. And so human fatherhood is an archetype. I should say God the Father is the archetype of all human dads. And it is a massive privilege. It's a massive responsibility. Amen, all dads say that. But it is an, it's a massive privilege to reflect this aspect of who God is. So today I want to talk about how do kids be kids to the glory of God? And how do dads be dads in a way that pleases God for his pleasure and for his glory? And so our text today is Ephesians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to look at it. And uh, kids, if you haven't learned to read yet, parents, you just get it out anyway. You're going to want to read this text to them. In fact, I would dare say, parents, this might be the verse you want to have them memorize first. We typically go to John 3.16 or something like that. Okay, that's fine. Ephesians 6.1, not a bad one for the kids to memorize. Why? Because here's what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. May God bring his word to bear upon our church and our hearts today. We note here that in describing family relationships, that scripture starts with children. Doesn't start with dad, doesn't start with mom, starts with children. And so I'm gonna take the, this order, uh, I'm gonna take the scripture's order as the order we're gonna deal with uh, this and to begin with children. Do we realize that the Bible is the basis for the dignity and worth of a child? The Roman culture of that day did not value children and there were some horrible things that they would do uh, uh, to, to, to children, etc. I'm not going to get into that. But the Roman culture of the time that this was written did not value children for their own sake. Even in the Jewish culture, which was famously family-centric, 
We see in the story of Jesus and the little children, if you remember the story, Jesus is there, he's teaching, he's healing. There, there are parents that, that bring their children to Jesus. They want him to touch them. They want him to bless them. And the disciples see these parents in these, these loud, these, uh, you know, uh, ill-behaved children making their way to the master and they think to themselves, Jesus has more important things than this. Jesus doesn't need to be giving his time and attention to children. And of course, you know what happened. Jesus says, and they, and they basically tried to get the parents to leave. And Jesus says, wait, 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 let the children come to me. For such as these is the kingdom of God. And with those words, Jesus established in Christianity the inherent worth and value of every single child. In societies where power and money are idolized, children are marginalized because they neither have power or money. And Christianity, this is one of these unrealized blessings that Christianity has been to Western civilization. Christianity establishes the value and the worth of a child and a family, not because of their net worth or what they have to offer or how big they are, but because they are who they are in God's sight. And that's why anywhere Christianity goes, I mean, missionaries go to Africa, you know, this, that, and the other. Wherever Christianity goes, you know what always goes with them? Children's hospitals, orphanages, and families that value little people. And certainly here in our church, we highly value little people. Amen? Okay. Now, kids, with that said, you might be thinking to yourself, ah, so I am so important. Is that what you're saying, Pastor Steve? Kind of, kind of. But this does not mean that you have a free pass to be a little tyrant around the house. Or frankly, the church, I might add. No, God has something very specific. It's the one thing that is emphasized regarding your role in the family and your responsibility in the family. What is it? Here's the verse. Kids, pay attention. Parents, I know you want them to pay attention right now. Here's what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Kids, did you hear that? All you have to do is obey. That's it. Like, how hard is this? It's the one, th there's like hundreds of commands in the Bible. There's one that is emphasized for the role of kids. You gotta obey your parents. I'm not used to kids amening, and I wasn't expecting one there. But I thought maybe a parent might roll one out on that point right there, or at least elbow their kids sitting next to them. You must obey. Okay, so let's talk about children. What does obedience look like? What does that mean to obey? Here's what obedience is. It is right away, all the way, with a happy heart. Parents, I'd encourage you to make that a catechism in your home. What is obedience? It is, it is right away, it is all the way, and with a happy heart. Let's talk about that. It is right away. Delayed obedience is disobedience. 
Delayed obedience means that you're gonna get around to it, but you wanna make sure that your parents know that you're actually the one in charge. It's a little, it's a little lordship moment for you. I'll do it when I want to do it. No, that is disobedience. It is, secondly, it is all the way. Partial obedience is disobedience. We think of the story, of course, of, of King Saul, who God sent to, uh, to destroy the enemies and, he, and, to, and to wipe out the livestock and all of that, and he kind of did it. He didn't entirely do it. It was a 90% obedience, but 90% obedience is viewed as disobedience. Obedience strives to meet the full expectation. So it is all the way. And thirdly, and this is what is getting at here in the text, it is with a happy heart, or we might say with an honoring heart. Notice again the text. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So kids and parents need to understand this as well. God's expectation for children is, yes, that they obey, they do the action of obedience, but it also has to do with the attitude. And the fifth commandment is all about attitude. Honor your father and your mother. I hope that you are learning the Ten Commandments in your home. I would say this is a must list for every Christian home. And if you are, then you know that he is quoting here from the fifth commandment, okay? This is the transition from uh, the, the, the vertical commands about no idols and honoring the name of God to the second tablet, which is the horizontal responsibilities. And in it we have not lying, not coveting, not murdering, no adultery. But at the top of that list is honoring your father and your mother, the word honor, it means to give weight to, okay? To give weight to. In other words, your parents are weighty in your life. Your parents are critically important in your life, and you view them this way. It's an attitude. Think for a moment. What does disrespect sound like? It's a tone of voice. It's a rolling of the eyes. There's a, yes, I'll do it. It's like the old saying I heard, uh, you know, there was a teacher who, uh, you know, told a boy to sit down, and uh, he wouldn't do it. And she finally said, sit down. And he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And kids, this is the way that you can roll, and you might think, well, at least I did it. It must be pleasing to God. No, no. This is attitude. An attitude of respect for parents. And parents, this is something that I think we need to realize in our parenting, is that we're not simply looking for outward conformity to the rules of the house. It is the heart that we aim for. We want to shepherd that heart. And there at that heart level, down inside, is the character quality of respect for authority. You know, a child that doesn't honor his parents likely won't honor his or her teacher someday likely won't honor his or her boss, will for the rest of their life have an authority issue. A defiant child grows into a defiant adult, and that does not go well for them. 
And that's why honor your father and mother that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. He notes here that it's the only commandment that has a promise uh, attached to it. And the promise is that in general, for those children that honor their father and mother, the character qualities that go along with that are qualities that will bless them over the course of their life. That in general, things in the way that God has so ordered society, things go well for those who respect authority and things go badly for those who do not. So I would urge you not to be lax, parents, in requiring full and immediate obedience before habits form in their heart where they think they're actually the ones in control. Because if you, if you abdicate authority to the four-year-old in your home, you will never get it back. Okay? It's a 20-year sentence. <laughs> Till they're out of the house, they're basically going to be in charge. Kids, I want you to hear this. Your parent is not your friend. Your parent is not your best friend. And if your parent is parenting well, they're not trying to be either one of those things. They're even more important than that in your life. The fifth commandment doesn't say, you know, be friendly with your friends, honor your friends. No, a parent is even better than a friend. And parents, we need to try to not be their friend. We need to be better than that. We need to be their parent. Honor your father. Now, kids, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, so like just on Father's Day, right? Is that what you're saying, Pastor Steve? One day, one day that I've got to do this. No, no. You know the answer, okay? But make sure that you do it today. I was greeted this morning with some presents, some, some kisses and some hugging, and uh, I would encourage kids, make sure your, your dad knows you love him today, okay? What a blessing that was. I'm looking forward to going home again when we're all done here today. Now, notice in the text here that Paul, you would expect maybe that Paul would go from kids, the natural sort of thing would be to go to mothers. Okay, and now a word for mothers. But he doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't do it here in Ephesians, and he doesn't do it in any of the other parallel passages where he, he writes similar to this. He always goes to fathers. And that's what he does here. And what, here's what it says. Fathers, here's, here's the command, dads. Do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. So we hear in the text, dads, there's one thing that we are not to do, and there are two things that we need to really have as the focus of our parenting. Notice what we are not to do. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now why do you suppose Paul of all the things that dads shouldn't do, why is this the one thing that Paul emphasizes? Well, uh, parenting is essentially the process of nurturing children to adulthood. I tell my girls all the time, in fact, we're, we're, uh, we have this thing going where our, we've got our girls at this point agreeing that they're never gonna leave us and that if they do marry, they're gonna live in the basement. Uh, and at this point of the story, they're, they're, they're both like, okay, daddy, we'll do that. And I'm like, you're going to find a, a, a boy that's going to be willing to live with mommy and daddy, right? Okay, daddy, you know, and we'll see how that goes in 10 years. But um, we, you know, in a sense, there's this longing in my heart. I don't want them to ever leave. 
And yet I know that my job is to get them ready to leave. That my job is to prepare their hearts and their lives to nurture in them the kind of qualities and knowledge and giftings and maturity where they're ready to step into adulthood. That's my job as a dad. And we see Paul focusing on that to, to, to nurture our children. It's, in some ways, the, the imagery is of like gardening or landscaping. And during the pandemic, I've been doing a little bit of the landscaping thing around the house. And, you know, some of my, we planted a whole bunch of hostas, and some of the hostas are doing great, okay? Some of them not doing so well. In fact, I've got one hosta that happens to be under a spot in my roof when it rains hard. The water just like flows off and just dumps down on this, on this hosta. And... I've been trying to nurture it. I carefully pull the leaves out so that it gets air and sun and, and all. I'm trying to have this hosta live, but I'm doubtful about it because it gets too much water. Or right now, the last couple of weeks, it's probably not getting enough water. And that's like parenting, is that there's, there's two sides to fall off the, the horse on here. You can, you can overdo it and you can underdo it. And kids have this threshold. And inside this threshold is, is healthy is healthy. One author lists nine examples of parenting behavior that isn't healthy. Nine examples of a kind of parenting that will provoke anger and resentment and bitterness in a child. These include overprotection, you know, like making a promise they'll never leave the house, things like that maybe. Uh, overindulgence, the spoiled child, discouragement, condescension, excessive discipline, unrealistic goals they can never achieve, never please you, favoritism, how'd that work for Jacob and Joseph and his brothers, neglect, withdrawing love, and I would add one more, passive aggressive parenting that is really more about manipulating our children than it is developing their character. If you look at that list, these represent, I think, some of the things that we as parents, it's a challenge because we so much want them to be this way or we want them to be that way, oftentimes like ourselves, things they like to do, things that they're interested in. And rather than developing their character, we want them to make us look good, be well-behaved, do reasonably well in school, be involved in some activity that is at least good enough to make our friends think that we've done okay, you know, third-string trombone in the march, something like that. I mean, do something that makes people think that you're kind of, you know, with it and you're gonna be successful in your life and, you know, so you make us look good. And when kids sense that we are that our, our real motivation in parenting them and being a dad to them is that they need to make us look good. That'll provoke a child to anger, sometimes an anger that lasts their entire life. The Bible says that love is not selfish, and parenting love cannot be self-oriented. Or kids can't be about us, right? So then what are we to do? Okay, what's a dad to do? And again, Paul says, here's one thing not to do. Here are two things to really pour your life into 
as a dad. Okay, so if I'm not trying to make him a mini-me, what am I trying to do here? Again, back to the text. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Do you get the imagery there? Don't tear them down. Okay, parenting is not demolition, but rather build them up. It is construction. It is building into them. The Greek word here, it means to nourish them. Again, this gardening image, I think, is a, is a good one. Like a gardener that's constantly providing the necessary water and the necessary sun and the necessary nutrients and understands about this particular plant. Is it a, is it a shaded plant? Is it a semi-shade? Is it a full sun? I know the plant. I know what it needs. I'm trying to nurture this plant and for it to be healthy. A parent, a dad has to know the child, understand what's it going to take, what nutrients are needed, what's, what's going to produce in this child health. And this certainly includes physical needs, but Paul doesn't focus on that. I think it's kind of assumed that a dad would want to meet the needs of his family. The focus here is nurturing the spiritual side of your children. Notice again the text. Bring them up, okay, nourish them. Notice in the discipline of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction, these are somewhat the same but have a little nuance. If you think about the instruction of the Lord, the, the, the Greek word there, it, it is, it's a thinking word. Okay, this is teaching our children spiritual truth, a focus on their mind, what they know, how they, how they are looking, what is the worldview, the, the grid through which they are seeing the world. Is it secular? Okay. Is it godless? Is it evolutionary? Is it theistic? Is it biblical? Is it gospel? Am I, is my child seeing the world around him or her in a way that is true? Because God's word is true. How often do I do this, right? <laughs> We need to look at the world this way. And a godly parent is constantly trying to help their child to look at their entertainment and look at their friends and look at their schooling and look at their recreations and look at their free time and to look at their siblings and to look at their parents and to look at their goals and their future. Not the way the world does it. We know what that leads to. But the way that God has said, okay? Train up your children, nurture and nourish in them the instruction of the Lord. And then the discipline of the Lord. And if there's a nuanced difference here, it would be that instruction seems to be more the way they think, and discipline is the application of that truth to the way that they live. Not just the mind, but also the heart. Guard your heart, for from it flow the issues of life, and for our children to at that heart level to understand that, that there is a God and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And for that understanding of God and what pleases him, for a dad to nurture in them a desire to live their life in a way that pleases God, this is no easy task. And if you are unintentional about it, it is not going to happen but by the grace of God, okay? This requires intentional dadding, to be an intentional daddy. 
And dads, listen, I know that this is not easy to do. And I'm not here to lay a guilt trip on, on any of you, okay? It's not easy to do. You, 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 you probably have a job that is demanding. You have responsibilities that weigh on you. You have your relationship with your wife that needs to be a priority. And then on top of that, you have these little image bearers who are going to spend eternity either in heaven or hell. And God has called the dad to lead in the home. There is a lot on our plates. And sometimes, honestly, I feel myself, and in, 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 at times I can despair. I just, it seems overwhelming to me. I think I can't do this. Dads, I want to encourage you to think a particular way. And if you would just dial in with me, dads, online here in the room, I would like for you to honestly try to project into the future of your life. Let's go to your deathbed. Now, maybe you'll have a deathbed, maybe you won't. Some people die in an accident, some people die slowly of cancer or whatever. Not everybody gets a deathbed, but let's just say that your future is a deathbed. And on that deathbed, if you could project and think in those moments, what will I be glad I did or wish that I had done differently in my life? And to apply that to thoughts that you will have at that point about your children. What will you have wished that you did that you didn't? Or what will you have uh, regrets about that you did? Because at that moment, there isn't anybody who wishes that they worked more. There is not a single man on his deathbed who, who wishes that he would have made more money in his life. There in the last hours of life, you will likely wish that you could go back to today, June 21st, 2020, that you could go back to this day and do some things differently in your family. What will those things be? Can you project to the future and look back in that way? I think many dads will wish that they had nourished their spiritual lives more. They will wish that they had nurtured spiritual sensitivity and a heart in their children more than they did. To focus more on their spiritual character, which is what Paul is urging here, than the things that dominate so often what dads want from their kids. Because at that moment, their GPA is irrelevant. Now kids, that doesn't mean you get a pass. I don't have to study because it doesn't matter. That's what Pastor Steve said. No, okay, that's not what I'm saying. But for a dad on his deathbed, one second before he dies or one second after he's dead, the GPA won't matter. One second before you die, your kid's success in some particular game or activity is going to be completely irrelevant. At that moment, you will think, I want my kids to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord of their life, and I want to see my kids in heaven forever. That is the longing of the Christian dad. And men, I just, listen, if, if you just go with the flow of culture, and you dad in the way that you feel like people expect you 
to dad and to, to do the things that dads should be doing if they're good dads, you are not going to parent spiritual priorities in your kids. You're going to fill that with a whole bunch of other things. And the schools and the sports fields and the parks and the dance studios and the this and the that. I mean, you just drive around our community and start counting all the things that are for kids. They're everywhere. I should have done that like within a half mile of our church to count all the things that are associated with kids and their activities and their focus within a half mile of this campus. There are tons of them, including multi-million dollar sports fields. And so I think there's this huge parent guilt thing. We drive around, we see kids doing this. Oh, they're playing soccer. And oh, look, they're dancing inside that studio. And, and I, if I'm a good dad, I've got to get my kids to soccer. And if I'm a good dad, I'm going to get my daughter dancing in the ballet studio. And I've got to make sure that they're, you know, you drive by the school and there's the marching band out there doing their thing. And they're like, wow, those parents, they're so dedicated. Their kids are in the marching band. And we have all this guilt, like we're running around all the time thinking, my kid's got to do this. My kid's got to do that. My kid's going to do that. And yet, one second before you die, you're not going to give a rip about those things. You're going to think, I want my kids in heaven. I want my kids to know Jesus. Why did I focus on things that in the end don't matter? Did Jesus ever play soccer? Was Esther a ballet queen? What was Moses good at? I've seen the movie, he was fast in the chariot, la la. How does God evaluate them? These are the heroes of the faith. And yet so many of the things that we pour our time and our money and skip out so many extensive weekends. Well, I can't go to church because our kids got this. I can't go to church because kids got that. They can't go to Christian camp because they got to really work on their left-hand dribble and left-hand layup. And we got to get that free throw percentage up. We're going to a camp, not the Christian one, but we're going to go to the basketball camp. Because our goal is for our son, if he labors his entire Teenage years, maybe he'll be third-team all-conference and play intramurals at college. Because that's what's really important. Do you see how, if you really step back from this and think about through the grid of eternal values, the time, the money, the energy that is, and I'm not opposed to any of those things on their own and in balance, but to make that the big thing, you might eternally regret that. And that's why Paul here, what does he focus on? He doesn't focus on, you know, you go back in that day, make sure that they're good at cutting stones and, and, and make sure that they're, they're, they can churn butter and they can, you know, whatever the life was like, you know, back then, things, basic life skills. They had to have certain life skills back then, just like we do. He could have said all those things. He didn't. What did he, he went for the spiritual values. Because in the end, those are the things that matter. So if you buy into the world's approach to parenting, your kids might, you know, uh, graduate cum laude and make the third string trombone. 
But if when they're 25, they don't care about God and they have a problem with authority and their life direction is not towards the spiritual values of the kingdom of God, you don't have to wait to your deathbed to have regrets. Make sure, dads, you're focusing on the most important things. So let's get practical, okay? How do fathers nourish the spiritual lives of their kids? How do we do that? I'm gonna give you some suggestions here. Number one is prayer. Earnest prayer for our kids and earnest prayer with our kids. Prayer, if, if there's low hang, if there's an easy win here, dads, the low hanging fruit for how you bring spiritual values to your kids, Prayer has got to be it. Certainly praying for our kids, and you can evaluate the quality and the quantity of your prayers for your children, but earnestly praying with our kids is so powerful. And you might be sitting there going, oh great, i got to come up with a value vision level prayer every day. I can't do that. No, it's not that. Okay, maybe a little more than now I lay me down to sleep, but somewhere in between those, a quality prayer and prayers with our kids and that with consistency. Okay, so you might be like, well, we pray before we eat and we pray at bedtime. And you know what? I think that's awesome. So do we. Keep it up. Well done. But it's the spontaneous prayers. When you hear a family member's got a medical condition, let's pray right now. Let's just pray as a family for them. When the child has a boo-boo, you know, what, 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 you know let's get ice and let's pray that God would heal your boo-boo. Now, if they're a teenager still doing boo-boo prayers, then okay, something didn't go, like, go right. But prayer brings God into the moment. And prayer brings God into the marriage. And prayer brings God into the home. Like, this is the easy step, the low-hanging fruit. Pray. Fill your home with prayers. Secondly, and this follows this, is every home has a culture. And all the cultures of our homes are slightly different. Your home has a culture. And dads, you are the one who sets the tone and the direction for the culture of your home. At least you're responsible for it. And praise God for, for moms who step in the gap in this. And so often it's the mom who's more bringing the spiritual culture. But is it ever powerful when dad does it? Like, we, like okay, mom wants to pray. That's mom. Dad wants to pray. Oh, this is a big deal. Dad's going to pray. Dad, you have, a, you have an influence, a power in a sense in the home to emphasize to your kids what is really important. And I want to encourage you to create a spiritual culture in your home. You know, I go into homes of our, of our, of our church and I, you know, I walk in and they moved here from Wisconsin, and so they want to be these obnoxious Packer fans in the midst of the Chicago Bearland here. And so, you know, you, you pull up, there's a Packer flag in front of the house. You drive into the, you know, you step into the garage or the, the house, and, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, Brett Favre this, and, you know, uh, Packers this, and you throw the, your, your tissue away into a Packer garbage can, and, you know, you go into the basement, and here it's, you know, it's painted in Packer colors, and, you know, you walk, you leave that house and you think, wow, this is a house that, whew, they, they love the Green Bay Packers. That's the culture of the home. If somebody was to come to your home and spend any amount of time, 
and then leave. What would they sense is the big deal in your home? Your home has a culture. And what Paul is urging dads is nourish a spiritual culture, a a priority on the things of God, a sense of God and the gospel, a, a joy in Jesus, a valuing of what is happening spiritually. You know, my parents, in my opinion, did this really well. We had regular devotions and prayer as a family. We never missed church. I've told you stories about, you know, snow, the, the, the blizzards in Iowa that we would drive through to go to church. Every Sunday morning, I would observe my dad writing a check to the church, and I would see them giving to special causes, etc. In our house growing up, we would oftentimes have missionaries in our home. My dad, I don't, somehow we got signed up for the, you know, when missionaries were in town, the DeWitts would feed them lunch after church. And so we would oftentimes have missionaries in our home. And I gotta tell you, when you're seven and you're sitting there and there's a missionary from Africa, and you know, they're telling their stories about God's work in Africa, you sit at rapt attention. And you also think in your heart, God, I, I'm willing to go to Africa, but don't send me to Africa. Like for me, I'm not good at fixing things, and I don't know that I would even survive there. I love you, God, just not Africa. I've mentioned before to you that my, my parents had not a lot, but some, you know, like verses and a plaque or, you know, spiritual thoughts that kind of were around in the house. And, you know, you might not think that's a big deal, but as a kid, you grow up and every day over the toilet is a, <laughs> is a, is a verse. And you look at it every day. I could quote many of them to this day. Now, I know Joanna Gaines doesn't recommend that for decorating. But I guess it, it just depends on what's important to you. Create a culture of spiritual focus in the home. Every home has a culture. What's your, what's your culture? What's your culture like? And on your deathbed, will you wish that you came back to June 21st, 2020 and made some changes? Someday you'll be glad that you did. Third, it's just teach biblical truth in the home. And I know saying this, there are many, of, many dudes that are like, but I don't know that much, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a theologian. I'm, I'm not Billy Graham. I, I don't know what to do. These four-year-olds, they terrify me. You know what? If you just read the Bible regularly in the home, you're two-thirds of the way. Can you read English? Okay. If you can read English or whatever language you are speaking in the home, just read the Bible. And when you're done, go, hey, kids, what do you think this means? You just do that, you're two-thirds of the way. Teach them truth. Do your kids know the story of how you came to faith in Jesus? Can you tell your story? Like, if right now I said, hey, we've got some kids right here. Okay, what's the story? How did your mom become a Christian? Those stories should be legends in the home. They shouldn't be a mystery. Tell them that story over and over again. You're like, but my story's boring. I grew up in a Christian home. I became a Christian when I was four. Tell it anyway. And then make sure that they know how valuable Jesus is to you. Make it a legend in the home. Drip these truths in. Don't farm out this responsibility to Sunday school or a one or a Christian school. Drip it in as life allows. 
And finally, and this is, I think, the most important one. Dads, of all the things that we must do to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, we must model what seeking first the kingdom of God looks like. We gotta model it. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. I don't remember much of anything that my dad taught me spiritually growing up. Like right now to go back in my mind and go, yeah, I remember this particular family devotion that he gave this analogy and that really, I, I, don't, I don't remember anything in particular. I don't remember any specific prayer that made a big difference in my life. I don't recall any particular moment of instruction or discipline, although I do remember a few of the discipline moments. <laughs> uh, I don't remember any of those making a huge impact. But here's the point. Biblical fathering is the cumulative effect of observing a life up close. It is the cumulative effect of living every day with a dad. You know, eventually our kids figure us out, don't they? Eventually they know what's important to us. They know what makes us tick. We can't hide it from our family. And there at the core of our being, dads, there needs to be, for a host of reasons, but this is one, there needs to be a genuine love for Jesus a genuine understanding of God's grace to me in the gospel. Now I want you to notice that I did not say perfection. You don't need to be super dad. In fact, God is pleased to use a lot of lousy dads if their faith is genuine. We don't need to be awesome all the time. Every day doesn't need to be, you know, uh, reality show worthy or something. It just needs to be real. It comes to my mind where Jesus said, if the faith is, is as small as a mustard seed, but you say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, it'll be done. What is he saying there? He's saying it's not the size of the faith, it's the genuineness of it. And even, even a little bit of genuine can have dramatic effects. And in the home, a little bit of genuine gospel, love in Jesus, Seeking forgiveness for my failures, being honest about my imperfections, extending grace to children for their imperfections and mom for her imperfections, the application of the gospel in the day-to-day -day of life, in the ebbs and the flows, the ups and the downs, model for them what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. And that child will grow up with the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Now, is that a guarantee that that child is going to spend eternity in heaven? That they are going to follow Jesus with their life? No. And we need to emphasize that. Every child is a morally responsible being before God Almighty. And they will make their own Decisions about Jesus, and they will be judged fairly by a holy God. There are no guarantees when it comes to raising kids and what they are going to, to become. But here's what we know. 
that while faithful fathering can't guarantee salvation, unfaithful fathering can hinder the spiritual life of a child. It's because they take their cues from us, right? If, 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 if you grow up and fishing's your big thing and you take your son fishing and you take him fishing and you take him fishing, Someday when you're dead, he's going to go fishing and he's going to go fishing and he's going to go fishing and he's going to think back and he's going to remember that you were the one that taught him how to fish. If there's a particular sports team that you cheer for and that was your thing and you guys did it together, when you're long dead, he or she is going to cheer for that team and remember how you were the one who introduced them to it. In other words, you're setting the lifelong direction for your children. And what Paul is urging is set that direction towards the gospel. Set it towards spiritual things. Make sure that's the big deal in the culture of your home. You're setting a lifelong, and we might even say an eternal direction for the child. And to remember that Jesus said, better to have a millstone hung around my neck and be cast into the sea than to make one of these little ones stumble. And so dads, here's what I'm saying this Father's Day, is let's just, maybe you need to hit the reset button in your home. Maybe there's things that you need to apologize and ask forgiveness for with mom and with the kids. Maybe you need to have a family powwow. How great would it be if today there was a ton of family powwows in Northwest Indiana of dads humbling themselves and renewing their commitment before their family that I'm gonna do better. I'm not gonna be perfect, but I'm gonna do better at focusing our home on the things of God. Let's renew our purpose to nourish our children's hearts towards a personal faith walk with Jesus. One second after you die, I guarantee you'll be very glad that you did. Happy Father's Day.